Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. This is a really great topic because it's one that we see at least on social media. If you're on any social media platform, you see this all the time. And I think we need to know how to answer it. I think most people do, right. but it's it's a good refresher, I think. And that's the issue of, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Yep. And this is often in response to Anything that would say you need to repent of sins to be saved. Um, in fact, uh, Tom Buck, who I really love, Tom, he's quite quite the guy. Posted, he says, "You're an enemy on on Twitter." He posted something says, "You're an enemy, not a friend, to sinners if you don't warn them of God's coming wrath upon their sin if they don't repent." Yeah. He's absolutely right. The most loving thing you could do is warn someone about the danger. Right in which they're about to find themselves, um, and and for when we're talking about the eternal place of someone's soul, I, that's a, I mean, it's it's not loving. Yeah, that's serious, uh, right? To to not warn someone because there'll never be another chance to repent once we pass from this life uh, into eternity. And what's very interesting is you know instantly he got a lot of comments, and uh, you know. Several were basically to the tune of, well, you know, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and so I, I guess he was an enemy because he didn't seem to warn them. He only warned the religious people. I, I mean, I was, mm. that was sort of some of the, uh, yeah, the the comments made. And, and so let's just ask the question: um, Why did Jesus befriend sinners? And, you know, tax collectors is just referencing the same sort of groups of people, right? Right. Why did he do that? I mean, he was accused of being a drunkard and friend of sinners, uh, obviously. So he did spend enough time with them for that accusation to be made. But was there a purpose behind it or was he? did he just want to hang out? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and it does come up uh, quite often. And I'm thinking of Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But if you look at the um, context of that, verse uh, 28 says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi. This is talking about Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind, got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and Pharisees? So we're often uh, accused of being the Pharisees and the scribes in this situation. When we talk about ungodly relationships that people who call themselves Christians are are cultivating in their lives, mm -hmm. they'll say, well, you're just like the scribes and Pharisees are saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But I think it's very important that first we understand that context and then Second, understand what Jesus' response was to that. Verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who are who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Very important. 
Very important. Mm-hmm. So Jesus Christ yeah. was dining with tax collectors and and sinners, uh, not because they were inherently better people. He was dining with them in order to call them to repentance. And in talking about, I have not come to call the righteous. There is no one righteous. And so Jesus here is not talking about those who are truly righteous in this world. He's talking about those who are self-righteous and unteachable and don't believe that they they need Jesus Christ. And so this goes back to our call. When we think about the Great Commission, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That starts with evangelism. That starts with sharing the gospel. Of course, it doesn't end there. Um, There's discipleship that should be lasting uh, a lifetime, first from the Lord Jesus Christ, but also within the the church. Um, So we understand the Great Commission. And we also understand that within the body of Christ, uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists have been given to the church by Jesus Christ in order to equip the saints for the work of service. And what is the work of service is to build up the body of Christ. And so when we talk about fellowship, when we talk about building up one another, we're not going to get built up from the world. And yet we also are called not to ignore the world. So Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 he references a letter that he wrote uh, prior to 1 Corinthians. So we believe that Paul wrote at least four letters to the Corinthian church. And that's on the basis that 1 Corinthians makes reference to another letter here. Um, and he wrote in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, stop there. Do not associate with immoral people. But then he goes on to clarify, I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of this world. So we also understand that we're not we're not trying to claim a total separation from the world. We need to be, you know, we need to, we do need to spend time befriending them and loving them in order to call them to repentance. Um, but in yeah. terms of our associations, we we want to be careful about those who are inside the church who who claim who claim to be Christians but continue to live that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's typically where um, where I have the greatest concerns for for especially public figures who call themselves Christians but have no problems, um, you know, uh, going side by side with known heretics within the church. Um, you know, so I, I'm to, you know, I, I I don't always like to call out names, but. Recently, Francis Chan's name has come up, and uh, Francis Chan, a very intelligent, a great speaker, but tremendous concerns with the company that he's keeping, the kinds of uh, conferences that he had been going to, people that he was referring to as his own brother, um, people like Todd White and and uh, I, th- I believe Mike Bickle and Bethel Church and things like that. So, you know, the we are warned in the scriptures um, about um, about associating with anyone who calls themselves a Christian, who lives these worldly lifestyles. But in terms of the world, um, we, we're not separating ourselves from them. We have to pre- preach the gospel to them, but recognize they're not the church. That's that's not who we're being built up by. Yeah, and, and you know, before we jump back to our main point, that next verse, I, I mean, it really is important because it often comes up. Um, he says, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral yep. person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And this is mm-hmm. interesting because there's a big movement of so-called LGBTQ Christians, right? Um, they would fit in this category and that shouldn't be something that we're happy about, um, 
But, you know, someone who is living in that kind of lifestyle, who's professing to be a, a Christian, we're told not to even associate with that kind of person. Um, yeah, and right. so, yeah, and, and that's, and, and we do those things not joyfully. Uh, we do them, I think, with sadness, hoping that they would come to repent. Um, but back to the, 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 the primary issue here of, of defining the motivation for Christ spending time with unbelievers. It's very interesting yeah. because even in that passage that you, uh, that you, that you read, I, I think there's some irony in the accusations there because what people would say is they would take that passage and they would say, see, Jesus is eating with sinners and with tax collectors and he's their friend. But what Jesus yeah. actually says is that these are very sick people and I'm here to heal them because yep. they need, right? Yes. I, I mean, he isn't there just to be the friend. He right, says, right. it's not those who are healthy, right? Im implication is that he's there. These are the sick people and, and I'm the physician. Yep. And so I'm here as a doctor to a patient. And, and that's the illustration he uses. Um, so it isn't that yeah, he's and, and just hanging that, out yeah, with let me, him. Right. And let me add real quick. It's also not that he's just simply physically healing people, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we know he physically healed people. Yeah. There are also other Christians who will say, well, you guys need to be spending more time with the poor and with the sick and, and bringing them healing and, and this and that. Sometimes they're talking about faith healing and all that. But the emphasis in this passage, when he uses that illustration about being a physician and being with those who are sick is spiritual. It is clearly spiritual because he says, I've come to call sinners to repentance, clearly addressing a yeah. spiritual issue. So whatever uh, whatever physical acts that that he did, whatever healing that he performed was meant to point to this, this great need that everyone has uh, of spiritual forgiveness from God, to, to be healed spiritually, given a new heart, to be born again, to repent and to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I, there's so many passages, um, verses where we see Jesus coming and calling to repentance. I, I mean, it, you know, we have the passage just as when, when he first came, he came preaching yeah. repent, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so we see that over and over in Luke 13 in multiple places. You know, we have Jesus saying, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And someone says, well, he was talking to the Pharisees. Well, so is he only wanting the Pharisees to repent and be saved? I, I, right, you know, it's right. kind of a silly accusation. Um, but then you have Luke 24, 47, he says, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So now yeah. here you have the declaration that it's meant to go out to all the nations. And what is it that's meant to go out? The call to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and, and so I think sometimes, I, I'm, I really don't know why this is, um, why sort of the, 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 those who would consider themselves progressive Christians have made the call to uh, of repentance and, and a bad thing um, because they would all say we want to be forgiven well, I, I, I think it's the, the, the issue of wanting to live in your sin and not have to give that up, really. Yeah. So we do actually know. Um, but we see over and over again Jesus' call. I mean, a shocking one. I mean, let's just go over to Matthew 11. Let me pull that up real quick. Um, 
I, it, you know, Jesus is often painted as portrayed as someone who he's not in scripture. Um, it's sort of Jesus meek and want mild, but Jesus meek and mild. That's okay with all of our sin. Um, mm-hmm. In Matthew 11 at 20, we go down to 11 and 20. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. It says, and then he began, he being Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not yeah, repent. Right now, just a side rabbit right. trail. If you ever thought miracles will guarantee people come to Christ, they 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 don't. They, they never have. Right. But then he goes on. This is Jesus speaking. He says, "Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida!" Now, these are pronouncements of judgment. If you don't understand what it what mm-hmm. that woe means, right? Uh, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, mm-hmm. will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of the judgment than for you. I mean, those are those are sobering, hard pronouncements of judgment from Jesus yeah. about who has and hasn't repented, right? Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you, you brought up how Jesus began his ministry. And right there, I'm thinking early on in the book of Matthew, I mean, from Matthew chapter four is when Jesus begins his ministry. He gets tempted by Satan. And it's in verse 17. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that is actually a very familiar statement for anyone who's read Matthew, because he says that in chapter four, verse 17, but one chapter earlier, John was doing this exact same thing, John the Baptist. In chapter three, he was um, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, but when the Pharisees went to go and approach him, and he makes that statement of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is it in verse two, that's chapter three, verse two. And then the Pharisees come to see him um, in verse seven. And what does he say in verse eight? He says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, let, let's stop there for a moment. Repentance produces fruit. And so that's why in verse seven, he says to them, you brood of vipers who warned you from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So the call to repentance, it is starting with a change of mind, but it doesn't stop there. It's a change of mind that actually bears fruit in one's actions. And then what do we see in chapter, so that's chapter three, chapter four, Jesus begins his ministry the same way, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in chapter five, what does he tell his disciples? Chapter five, verse 20 He says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then chapter 7, verse 21, what does he go on to say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my my Father in heaven will enter. All right, so those who do the will of God the Father. And then finally, the final chapter in the Great Commission um, the making the call to make disciples. What does that include? It includes baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, Jesus said uh, to count the cost uh, in following Him. For anyone who wishes to come after Him must uh, must deny themselves, bear their cross, and and follow Him. So there is fruit of repentance uh, that that 
produces, uh, there's repentance that produces fruit, uh, which is obedience to Jesus Christ, obedience to God, and, and producing that fruit that only comes through obedience and, and that growth in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then in John 14, you have the statement Jesus makes, right? I, I mean, along with what you're saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we brought mm -hmm. that up several times. I, I mean, it's just a very pointed statement. And and he's just very simply communicating, communicating here that love can never be separated from obedience to him. Um, yeah. and, and that's a measure, you know, a, a litmus test of our love is are we truly obedient to Christ. He's not talking about being perfect, obviously, um, but it, is our life characterized by obedience? And and that's what repentance does. I mean, that's the, fr the fruit of repentance, right? Um, yeah. it, is you, you go from defying the living God, from living in, you know, as Ephesians says, the lust of the flesh and all of that, following after the prince of the power of the air. You go from that turning away from your sin to Christ and you know, picking up your cross, denying yourself, following him and and becoming obedient, pursuing obedience. And and Jesus says, This is this this is how I know you love me. If if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll you'll be obedient. Yeah. Um and, and, and so yeah, so to to paint the picture of repentance somehow, Jesus not somehow um calling people to repent or only certain groups. I, I mean, really it's to reject the, the, the mercy and grace of God for the sinner. It, it, it really is an attack on the gospel um, no. to, to reject Christ's call to repentance and to make Jesus to be one who just sort of hung around center, sinners um, with with no ultimate aim and desire to call to repentance is basically just to reject the ministry of Christ here on earth. It, it's the very yeah. reason he came. And so it right, can be right. a very significant issue if if the denial of repentance by you know the folks who would make that claim if if it follows through, but I think often we see the fruit of those the lives of those people um, and we don't see. Uh, a lot of fruit repentance in their own life. We see a lot of defense uh, in, of their own sinful ways and of the culture mostly, right? Um, and and so it's just, I, yeah, go ahead, jump in there. Yeah, so I, I think um, maybe the question, um, and uh, you can complete your thought there, but maybe the question uh, for those who are hearing, um, we recognize that we don't cut off all associations with the world, right? Uh, we are in the world for a reason. We're there to proclaim Christ. And, and yet we also understand that our fellowship, the building up of one another happens within the church. And, and maybe the question that some may ask is, how do we know um, when we've crossed the line? When we are, when we are, uh, you know, too much with the world and not enough with the church, or we're too much with the church at the expense of evangelizing the world. Um, what would you say? Uh, how how is someone to know that they've crossed uh, the line? How do they differentiate between those two activities? Yeah, I think I would probably go to where your affections lie. Um. You know, I think we love both groups of people, but we love them differently. Yeah. And the people I want to be around the most 
because I enjoy their company, because our uh, we're, we're pursuing the same goals in life, because we serve the same God. The, those right. those people are the church, and that's where I want to spend most of my time. It's where I'm refreshed. It's where um, I'm refreshing others. Um, and, and so my affections and, and my love there is a, a brotherly love. They will always be my preference. Um, and, and then the for the other group, the unbeliever, I, I would say, um, are the affections such that the concern is mostly for their soul rather yeah. than um, getting the friendship. And it doesn't mean we don't build friendships. But I, I think that's where I would go is is how are your what are the affections like between the two groups of people and who do you prefer to spend your yeah. time with? If the preference is at the bars with unbelievers, then then the line's been crossed. Right. Um, and even if you don't do it, but that's the preference in your heart. You know, if there's a gathering uh, Sunday evening at church and, and your heart says, well, really, I'd rather just go be at the bar with uh you know, the, the guys who are all the unbelievers, cause they're going to have more fun. Yeah. I, I think the yeah. line's been crossed in the heart already. Yeah. I mean, talk to that, add to that. Where, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, for, for someone who is in the church and is a Christian, but um, prefers to spend time with their unbelieving friends over their believing friends, um, that that's a red flag to me. Um, if you're, if you're wanting to spend time because you want to just enjoy your time and you're just going out with unbelieving friends. Well, what's happening is that you're continuing to be influenced by the by the world. You're continuing to be influenced by unbelieving friends, and there's nothing in that relationship with your unbelieving friends that's going to encourage you to grow in your walk with Christ. In fact, it's going to be very much the opposite. Um, in John chapter four, Jesus Christ went to go see the Samaritan woman, and he said that God is seeking true worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. So we have to remember that the purpose for God calling us is to turn us into worshipers. And we can only worship with fellow worshipers. Uh, and that's one of the blessings. I, I think for every Christian, if you if you have a good church that that you're attending, um, that Sunday service, that that congregation, that gathering with the with the corporate body, fellow brothers and sisters, to me, that should be the highlight of your week. You know, being able to worship God in the presence of of your fellow believers, and uh, for when when you're maturing your walk, um, there there should be you know when you need encouragement, when, you know when you're down, when you feel like you need someone to pick you up, um, there, there should be someone within the body of Christ or, or a group of people within the body of Christ who come to mind immediately as uh, I need to go see them, I need to talk to them, I need to have them pray over me, I need to just spend some time fellowshipping with them. You know, when when you draw real encouragement from the body of Christ, that that's a good sign. And then for the world, when you're with the world, I agree with you. Your your motivation um, can't be, you know, what I'm just looking to have a good time, and 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 these are the people that I really enjoy being with and stuff like that. You know, enjoy being with them only because you enjoy sharing the gospel. You know, enjoy being with them because you know that you want to, you, you know, you want to glorify God by helping to share Christ, uh, Christ with them. You know, it doesn't mean that every single conversation can only be about the gospel, but I would say every single conversation should have as a goal um, trying to find some way to bring Christ uh, into that person's life. Yeah, and I think answering the first question, uh, you know, that we started with, why did Jesus spend time with sinners? Getting that question right actually answers this question, right? Yeah. Because as believers, you know, we we want to look, uh, we want to look to Christ, 
And if that was Christ's primary concern for sinners, which we're thankful because we were such ourselves at one stage, um, then that's ought, that ought to be where our heart is too, that our primary concern and reason for being in and among you know unbelievers um, is, is that we care for their souls and we want to um, share the gospel with them. And yeah. so if you get the first question wrong, it's going to be very hard to answer the second question of where's the line, right? Um, And it's interesting. I mean, Paul pleads with the Corinthians in this very same way. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking about their their ministry. And you get down to like verse 11, 12. uh, Let me see here. uh, uh, 11. So, I mean, it's it's a bit dramatic. He says, "Our, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained mm-hmm. in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as children, as to children, open wide to us also. And then verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, lawlessness or fellowship with light or darkness? And so here we see there has to be a very clear distinction. Not that we are never around them, not that we never associate with them, but we never bind ourselves to them. We're never bound with unbelievers. And and so if our heart is with them, yeah. then it's probably a, a good indication that, you know, our hearts may not be with Christ. If if consistently our heart is with the world yeah. rather than the people of God, probably because we aren't regenerate. Um, you know, now we can go through seasons of, you know, and that sort of thing, but yeah, so if you get the first question wrong, um, you know, why did Jesus spend time with sinners? Well, I, I think in this most simplistic answer, he spent time with sinners to call them to repent. You know, we see that pretty clearly. And why did yeah. he call them to repent? Because I think the accusation is that it's uncaring, unloving. Um, he he called them to repent because he loved them, right? And that's ought to be our right. motivation. Um I mean, if you hated someone, what you would actually do is not call them to repent so that they just go to hell. It's actually the most hateful right. thing. If you hate mm-hmm. your fellow man, never talk to him about the gospel. And yeah, I, I, I think that's the most uh, poignant way you could hate someone is to withhold the gospel from them. And the most loving thing that you could do um, is to share the gospel with them. Um Yeah. And so you get that first question right. Um, so I think that's what we would point people to, right? And so if you're, you know, if someone brings that up, you know, just go to the, the, the scriptures we've referenced where when Jesus first starts his ministry, it says that he came preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. It, it's there. None of those verses are ambiguous. None of them are unclear, right? right? right. Thankfully. Um, and, and then we just do, you know, we're following Christ, you know, um, and we love our neighbor by doing the same thing. We aren't the physician, but we're pointing him, we're pointing them to the physician, you know, a- any last thoughts yeah, before I, we wrap up here? Yeah. Yeah. That, that just, once again, that just points to the priority of the gospel, right? And, and it's interesting that a lot of the individuals that I think try to twist, uh, that, uh, the, the dining with sinners and tax collectors of Jesus Christ, they try to point that out um, are are the same people that are actually kind of deprioritizing the gospel. Um, they're they're making more about you know they're making life more about uh, 
uh, worldly acceptance, inclusion, or maybe social reform, uh, social justice, uh, those kinds of things. But even as you look at that account of Jesus sitting with sinners and tax collectors, the priority was the gospel. And so our priority needs to be the gospel as well. With the world, we need to proclaim the gospel, share the gospel, and with fellow believers, we need to rejoice in the gospel and and worship God um, on account of the gospel. So everything it still comes back down to the gospel. It, it is the answer to mankind's greatest need. Uh, everyone, only Jesus Christ was perfect. Everyone else needed the salvation that was provided by Jesus Christ at the cross. Yeah, and it, just to close with one last thought from Jesus, it, Luke fifteen ten. I, I listen, to this this is it, it's just beautiful. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about, I, I mean, just imagine that. Imagine the, the angels in the presence of God, it bringing them joy when a sinner repents. It, it's a beautiful thought. And so I to refuse the call to call an unbeliever to repent is to fight against the joy of the angels who were in the presence of God. And mm -hmm. who would want to do that? Um, so go out, share the gospel. Jesus came preaching repentance, and so too should we. So we hope that this has been helpful for you guys. Uh, again, uh, please check out our YouTube channel and follow that. The inf information will be in the show notes. And uh, we'd love for you to send us testimonies if you have any of how, you know, maybe some of these episodes, God's work done, done a, a good work in your life. And if you have any recommendations, something that uh, you, you, you just said, you know, I've looked everywhere and I can't find any teaching on this subject or on this issue. Please send those to us. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.